Welcome everyone to the Design 101 podcast. My name is Amanda Gates and I own Gates Interior Design in Nashville, Tennessee. My company specializes in living a stylish and holistic life. My goal with this podcast is to celebrate all the blessings that we receive from a well-designed life. I hope to introduce you to inspirational people, teach you new ways to live better, and empower you to design your best life through intention. There are many ways to achieve balance and harmony in our lives, but it all starts at home. Join me each month to be inspired, transformed, and motivated to live your best life. Hello, hello everyone. Welcome to Design 101. I'm your host, Amanda, and today's guest is Sheena White. In short, Sheena is a social media strategist and copywriter, but honestly, she's more than just that. She is a heart-centered entrepreneur who specifically helps women in their small businesses so that they can maximize the power of social media and increase their success rate in the online marketing world. Holy cow, as an entrepreneur myself, there just never seems to be enough time in the day. No joke, I spend a good three hours a day just contributing to the free content on my own website. Whether it's through the blog, my newsletters, free ebooks, or even this podcast, I'm churning out a lot of content on a weekly basis. And I've been doing this for seven years. So it can become really overwhelming and I didn't even know where to focus my efforts. And I'm sure a lot of you are the same way. So what did I do? I just quit doing my newsletter. Why on earth did I want to create yet another earth-shattering form of media? At the time, I was doing all of the above that I just mentioned, and I was also doing free design classes at the library and contributing to two of the local newspapers here in Nashville. Something had to give, and that was my newsletter. But apparently, that was a grave mistake. But I didn't want to work with a sleazy sales marketing company. I had literally just been told by said sleazy marketing company that I should ditch feng shui altogether because as they put it, no one was interested. I mean, really? So I was very fortunate that I had found Sheena and I've known her for about a year now and she was able to explain it in an easy to digest manner and she took the reins and simplified the process. And for those of you who read my blog, you know how much I love easy. So today's podcast, we're going to talk about her being a military wife, why she loves what she does, great books to read, and why social media still matters and is not going away. Sheena, hi. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for inviting me. So um, I'm excited to have you on the show because um, I think that really what you do, I think a lot of small business owners are completely perplexed about. And, um, you know, I remember when... um, some of the stuff was first coming out. I was like, I am so not jumping on this bandwagon. It's totally a fad. It'll go away. And here we are five years later, six years later, (laughs) and social media is still here. Like it is. Uh, And it's getting worse in some ways. I mean, every time I turn around, there's another new social media (laughs) platform out there. Literally. I think there's been, I mean, I heard about one that, that a new one recently and then Literally, right after that, I heard about another one that did something similar. I'm like, oh, my God, when does it stop? Well, everybody wants to be the Facebook, right? So mm-hmm. so for uh, the audience who's listening, just give us a little bit of background about, like, who you are. And, and we kind of just jumped in there and started talking about social media. And people might be going, well, why the hell are we talking about social media? But tell us a little <laughs> bit about who you are and what you do for businesses. Um, well, I 
originally started my career actually as a copywriter, um, but I grew into, I took a job uh, about five years ago where they wanted me to, to take charge of their social media presence as well. And this was actually back in the day that this was before Facebook had pages. (laughs) So Facebook uh, businesses were actually using Facebook profiles for their businesses and Facebook didn't like it. um, But this was actually in the days before Facebook had pages for businesses. So this was Facebook marketing was really new at the time. And I sort of just was I I started taking classes from people who were the best in the business at the time um, and really just, you know, trial and error and trying to figure out what, how to make this work and how I, how you actually um, could get people engaging with you on social media. But yeah, I, I went, my career started in, in copywriting and I definitely use those skills, you know, with social media marketing, you have to be, be able to communicate well, but then I, I, saw that the market was moving in this direction of social media and so I really jumped in with both feet and tried to to learn all I could yeah so. I remember um my first well I, a lot of my friends from high school were reaching out to me on this thing that was blue and white and something about faces and I was like what like I didn't know what it was, and, like, my mother, who was paranoid about everything, was like, I don't want to be online, I don't want any information online, somebody's going to, like, try to stalk me or kill me or <laughs> they want a kidney or something, and so, like, she had ingrained this in me, and so I was already on the internet because I had a business website, which, you know, we're talking 2004, 2005, and it's like, even back then, not everybody had websites, you know, it was still, like, a, a platform that was, you know, more for the, mm-hmm. the tech savvy, and so I felt pretty damn good because, you know, I had a website and (laughs) finally like late 2008 2009 I started coming around and one of my best friends got on Facebook and she's like would you just sign up for an account and I'm like I don't even understand what this is or why I need it and I don't have time to be chit-chatting with my friends from high school I don't even like half of you guys right So I finally signed up for it and it was exactly what I thought it was going to be. Like it was a huge time suck. Like I was so excited to like, I was like running into friends that I hadn't seen in 20 years and like catching up with them and finding out that they had kids and, you know, like one lost a leg and, you know, like just all this crazy shit. And you're like, holy mm-hmm. crap, like <laughs> I've missed out. <laughs> <laughs> and then I remember in 2009, Puff Daddy, P Daddy, whatever the hell he goes by now, he was on Twitter, this thing called Twitter. And I was like, what the hell is a Twitter? And it was so stupid because he was like, I'm going here to, you know, do this. And I'm having this for breakfast. And I'm like, really? Like, why the hell do Who we Who care? really cares? I know. I know. When I first got on Twitter, I was like, I feel like this is the most narcissistic platform. <laughs> because I'm like, people, why do people really care? People don't care what I'm eating for breakfast. People don't care what I'm doing in like in in 140 characters in any given moment, you know, of my day. Um, and I still don't really use Twitter a lot for my personal stuff, but I really embraced it for business. But yeah, I, I my original experience with Twitter was that it was c- a complete people who were on there must be completely self absorbed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I I got on it because I, it was kind of like the where the rubber hit the road for me, where I got a Facebook account. Um, I was relaunching my website at the time and 
I had um, signed up for a Twitter account and I also had started my blog. So it's like all, there must've been like changes going on in the stars at the time because I was making like all these commitments that I would have otherwise never done. But I remember I got on Twitter and it was, it was kind of lame, but the one thing that I really enjoyed about it is it allowed me to touch people that I would not have otherwise been able to touch. So I was able to, in those early stages, really connect with what I would consider celebrity designers, celebrity vendors, and people that I, that's where I was really starting to connect. And like those people would private message me and like I would ask them something about their businesses or maybe perhaps where they did something on a job and they would actually get back to me. I know it's pretty incredible, right? I, I love, it's funny, I, Twitter originally was the platform I didn't understand at all. And now it's my favorite for that very reason, because on Facebook, you can't reach out to just anyone, you know, you can't reach out to these people. You can't connect with them. They're not, if you even have the option to comment on their pages, they probably have someone else monitoring it or they're not looking at it at all. Versus on Twitter, you can actually reach out to anyone you want. And as long as it's, it's harder now because some of these accounts are so massive. Um, if you tweet some of these people, they may or may not get back to you because just because there's so many people tweeting them. Um, but if you send them a direct message, you might actually get a response from them, you know, as, and so, and it would probably be even easier if, if there wasn't, weren't so many spammy messages in, in the, uh, in your inbox. But yeah, it's Twitter is pretty incredible just because you have the opportunity to actually reach out and touch and engage these people like you can't on any other platform. Yeah, I mean, some of the, the best relationships that I have now are, they originated in those early years of Twitter and like, um, I feel like, especially, and I'm sure a lot of business owners can relate to this, but in my industry, especially like when I graduated and, and got into the design industry, it was extremely cutthroat. People did not share their Rolodexes. They didn't share information. It was all very, very selfish. And it was like each, you know, on their own. And so I started to see this huge shift. And I think a lot of it had to do with the economy. We were all kind of in the same boat. And it's like, okay, how can we help each other here? But I started to see a huge shift with social media and that people started banding together and helping each other out. And because you did have that direct access, like for me, that really started changing my life because I could get information so quickly. Rather than me taking a day to research it, I could reach out to somebody who already had the information and they would actually get back to me and share it with me. Like that's what really like wow. blew my mind. And when I started, um, I started to see a massive shift because it was kind of like the, the, the trifecta back then between Facebook, Twitter, and my blog. It was a small circle with the blogosphere too. Like back then nobody was really blogging. There were a couple of diehard ones that had started in like, you know, 05, 06. But a lot of us core designers had started our blogs right around 2008. And so we kind of grew up together in the blogging world. Now it's like there's so much noise and everybody <laughs> and their dog has a freaking blog now. But, you know, that, that was another way to where we could connect with them on Twitter. And then we would go over and, and hop onto their blog and then we would comment and then these great relationships started and it was all because of social media. And you know that that's still happening today. I'm seeing it more 
I mean, I still see it on Twitter. I I develop relationships on Twitter still. Um, I would say more and more though. Per- I mean, you're gonna hate me, <laughs> but Periscope. You know, Twitter's new. Uh, Twitter recently, Twitter, I think back in January, bought um, its very own live broadcasting platform so that people could pull up this app on their phone and start live broadcasting from any place in the world. And actually, I'm seeing more a ton of relationships being developed there every single day. People are getting to know one another. I've seen people actually connect face-to-face after they started developing relationships. Yeah, I'm talking about, you know, major influencers in this space who had never even heard of each other before suddenly are, you know, meeting up and, and having, um, live broadcasts together for the first time and actually developing really strong relationships. And it's pretty incredible to watch. Yeah. And, um, for those who aren't listening, just explain a, a, a little bit of what Periscope is. So it's, it's really just, um, it's kind of transforming television in a way, I think, because it, it really is just live broadcasting. So you get on your phone and you talk to your audience live. You can flip the phone around or you can flip the screen around so you're, it's facing out and you can show them um, what you're actually looking at. So, or, or you can talk to them directly. And the idea behind it was that the guys who created this, they, they wanted to be able – they said, wouldn't it be awesome if we could just – pop up like a periscope um, in other parts of the world. And they said, wouldn't it be cool if people had an app on their phone where they could live broadcast from wherever they are in the world at any given moment? And it would be like you're traveling, you know, through time and just like, you know, traveling there in an instant and just popping up so you could see, you know, events that are that are happening around the world at any given moment on Periscope. So that was kind of the concept behind it. They wanted you to be able to not be limited by by location anymore. They wanted you to be able to to pop up anywhere and experience an event or experience that, you know, that moment anywhere in the world. So for somebody who has a Periscope account, um, two questions. How mm-hmm. is this different from Vine? And if your Periscope isn't on, like if you're not doing a video, is it saved and then in your account so that people can look at it later or if they can only see it if it's live? They, it, is, it can be viewed up to 24 hours later and then it goes away. So Vine is like a little short snip. You know, it's like a little short video. Um, it's kind of like if you took a Google Hangout and made it and made it in connected it to Twitter. It, it's very much like a Google Hangout in a way, I would say. But what people do is people can ask you questions um, as long as there's not you know a thousand people on the call. They can ask you questions at a certain point. I think it's maybe around two hundred or so. There's no no one else can get on. And you just ha- you can only watch, but you can actually ask questions. Um, that thing can go as as long as you want it to go. So, you know, you can, as long as people are asking you questions, you can keep recording and keep live broadcasting. So, but it's all, it's all live up until, you know, you're done. And then it's uh, available as a replay for 24 hours. So that's the difference is it goes away. It doesn't sit there like Instagram. 
it doesn't sit there. However, you do have the choice to record it to your cell phone. So you could actually take that live broadcast and put it on YouTube, maybe edit out the introduction part, you know, where you're just greeting people at the beginning. You could edit out that part, maybe edit out, you know, a few pieces here and there to make it to make it a little more viewable and you could pop it into YouTube and then put it on your website, put a great description on there and actually try to get it ranked on Google because Google owns YouTube. So there's all sorts of things you could do with them. Yeah. I I can just imagine some people who are listening right now who are, you know, they feel like they're getting ahead of the ball game just because they got a website and they're like, wait, Twitter, Facebook, <laughs> Periscope, Instagram, Google Hangouts. What is all this stuff? <laughs> I know it's pretty overwhelming. And there, and for what it's, I, I actually get overwhelmed sometimes too. There's a new one out called Blab that's another live broadcasting. Live broadcasting seems to be the way the market is going right now. But I just, I had to finally just say no. <laughs> And and I do this for a living. You know, I help businesses, you know, come up with a strategy for their social media or I'll do it for them if that's if that's what they prefer. But you get to a point where you're like, you just can't do it all. You know, you've got Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Periscope and, um, you know, you're trying to occasionally post over to Google Plus and it's just too much, you know, and and I try to re personally, I try to repurpose my content as much as possible. So I hit, so it's less content that I'm making, but it, it does become too much. So when this new blab came out at like a couple weeks ago, I just said, you know what, I, I'll watch from time to time, but I just can't take on anything else. Yeah, it's a lot. And especially if you're a small business owner of any kind, whether you're doing a hobby business or it's a full-blown business, it's, it's extremely hard. I remember, um, I, you know, Facebook and Twitter, I did write about at the same time along with my blog, but um, it took me a long time to get on the Instagram bandwagon. I think I didn't, I've only been on Instagram maybe three years, and I remember rumblings about it because um, I heard about it through the blog world um, at least in 2009 or 2010, like right when it had first come out and people were, you know, in beta testing and, and they were on it. And I was like, there's just no way I don't have the time. But I saw that, you know, it was a great platform and, you know, I, I, I am glad that I'm on Instagram. I feel like it's really a great way for people to be like behind the scenes with me and to really see how my business operates, which I think people appreciate. But then you also have Pinterest. And so Pinterest is also, I think it depends on who you are and what you do for a living. For me, because I'm an interior designer, Pinterest is extremely valuable because my business is so visual. And 85% of traffic on Pinterest is women. And so women are always on there. So it's a great way to really see, like, there have been a lot of things that I have found on Pinterest that have not hit um, mainstream. And like, by the time they hit mainstream, it's like, oh, yeah, I saw that like six months ago. So I feel like I'm now <laughs> ahead of the curve because of Pinterest. Um and again, I think it depends on what you do for a living. But for me, Pinterest has been very valuable. And I, I see a lot of designers or even graphic designers who use Pinterest quite a bit. And Pinterest is what drives probably 95% of the volume of traffic to my website. I, I completely believe that. Every time I get like a bug to a bug up my butt to, you know, redo anything in my house, the first thing I do is I go to Pinterest. 
Yeah, and like my girlfriends and I, we all talk about how we don't even Google anything anymore. We Pinterest it. Mm -hmm. You know, if we're questioning something, we go to Pinterest and, and we use the search bar in Pinterest because um, if it's anything of value that we need to know about, it's going to be on there. So, um, but yeah, like when I started to hear about Periscope, I'm like, nope. I try, you know, everybody told me to jump on the Vine bandwagon. And so we did a couple of installations on Vine and like it was cumbersome. It was hard to do. It was hard to edit. Um, I felt like it was a little sloppy and I was like, okay, so I'm trying to post on Facebook, post on Twitter, post on Instagram, get my Pinterest boards in order. Like I was like, I will maybe do Vine every once in a blue moon. And then like, it just kind of fell off. I just stopped doing it. And so when I heard about Periscope, I'm like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I don't know that I can take on another one. And because for people who take blogging seriously, like I take blogging very seriously. And, and that's, you know, that's hard to say because I've had a blog for six years now, seven years now. And so I'm producing new content two to three times a week. And so my blog is like, you know, I think I've got over 1500 posts in my blog. So yeah, that's insane. <laughs> it's insane. And like I go back, like I've been going back and looking back through some of my old posts and I'm like, Jesus, I am brilliant. Like this is the most amazing post <laughs> I've ever written in my life. But I forget about them because there's just so many of them. And like I started yeah. going back through them back in January and I think that there's something like 55 pages in, in the back of my WordPress thing and I'm only on page... 27 I think like and it goes backwards I started at, at page 55 and, I, and it, so I still have 27 more pages to go and each page has 25 posts on it so it's like you know and I, it's our we're already halfway through the year and I still haven't gotten through all of them <laughs> oh my god yeah you know I mean if if you were to hypothetically speaking decide that you wanted to jump on Periscope you've already got years of content to to talk about on Periscope, you could really just pull up a blog post and say, hey, you know, tell, you know, tell your audience, hey, I've got three quick tips for you, you know, I, of how to do X, Y, and Z, and then share that content, the co content that you've already created in your blog. Something else you could do is you could actually put your, these broadcasts on, you could actually, you know, these podcasts as you're recording them and ha as you're having these conversations, you could actually even brought live, and I've seen people do it. Shailene Johnson does it actually. She has a podcast. She actually, I think she has a couple podcasts <laughs> and she, um, she actually will pull her, open her, you know, open up Periscope, start a conversation with her audience. And then she's like, okay, you know, I'm going to go ahead and record this. So I'm going to step away from you guys. I'm not ignoring you. Um, but, and she'll actually live broadcast the converse, the, the recording of her podcast. So she tries to combine things as much as possible and, and multitask so that it's not, it's not, doesn't just become one more thing. Yeah, and that I think that's the key, like you were saying, like really trying to repurpose your content. And that's one thing that I'm really bad about is that I feel like I have to keep producing like mind-blowing content. And I struggle like with my newsletter. It's like, you know, I blog two to three times a week. I can't possibly come up with a newsletter. Like I don't have any more <laughs> mind-blowing content like between the podcast and the blog itself, all the social media. At some point I have to play designer. It's like I am bleeding content. I can't possibly do any more. Well, for me, what I do, you know, with my 
newsletter, I typically send them a link to, I, I pop in a link there to one of my latest blog posts that I think they'd find helpful. I give the newsletter itself some, you know, yes, I do put a little, I try to put something useful in the newsletter itself, but typically it's just an introduction of some kind to my most recent blog post that they would find useful. Sometimes there's something newsworthy, but typically it's just a little introduction and here's my latest blog post. Yeah, and I was doing that for a while. Um, I think you were actually the one that told me that I should be doing uh, a newsletter every week. So actually what I was trying to do is usually um, a new post goes up every Tuesday. So I was trying to take that post and put it in the newsletter on Monday so that if people were uh, you know, signed up for the newsletter, they were getting the content first, mm-hmm. um, which worked out okay. But the, the biggest issue is... Um, just trying to sit down once a week, you know. Oh, I know. It's It's one more thing. Yeah, it's one more thing. And, like, the most important thing to me is getting content up on my blog. And, like, I feel like a newsletter is so instantaneous. It's, like, it's sitting there, and they may or may not open it, and then they open it, they may or may not read it, and then it goes in the trash. Whereas a blog post is live forever. So I have struggled and I did it for a while and, and the, the poor people on my newsletter list are probably like, yay, we're getting content. Now they're like, boo, we're not getting anything. <laughs> As a small business owner, it's like, okay, what do you really need to focus on and what is the most important thing to really maximize ROI and to, you know, really get the most bang for your buck? Because there is, there's a lot and it, most of us are not good at time management. I know I'm not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I'm not either, to be honest. However, I I am going to go out on a limb and say that I think you should really prioritize your blog or sorry, your, your newsletter. I think that, um, engaging your audience and growing your newsletter is actually pretty important because when it, when the time comes that you're actually ready to sell something online or promote some special event, those are going to be the people, those people who have opted in to get information from you are going to be the people who are most likely to buy from you, who are most likely to show up at your events. Um, and you want to continue that relationship and continue touching them and make them get them in the habit of opening your emails. Yeah. And, and that's why I was doing it because you had told me all that. And so I was like, okay, we can do this. But, um, you know, even I time block out my days and, you know, Sue, uh, who I've had on the podcast, Sue Painter, um, she taught me great tricks about, you know, blocking out like, you know, every day blocking out like the next three hours is blocked for this and this and this. And I try to do that, but it never fails. Like, like this morning I blocked out, um, time this morning to kind of get organized and figure out what client, what needs what. And then I was going to write a blog post. And then I get a call from one of my credit card companies and all of these charges were popping up, which I didn't know this, but somebody has been charging all these charges on my credit card in Nevada And so, like, they had purchased all this travel. They purchased an online course. Like, they were just listing off all these things. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. So, like, that one thing completely derailed my morning. So, but that's where I'm terrible at time management. And stuff like that seems like it happens all the time. I mean, not maybe not that specific scenario, but something comes up. up. Yeah. And so that's the challenge that I have where, you know, somebody who's really good at organization and time management, those little flubs like that, you know, it's like, okay, well, I lost 15 minutes or whatever, and now it's on to the next thing where that derails me. Like, I get like, okay, what the hell was I doing? And then I get sidetracked, 
you know I'm like one of those people where I wander through the house and like oh I need to put that away and then when I go to put that away I'm like oh I should have done this oh that remind you know and then like 15 tasks <laughs> later I'm like wait what was I doing <laughs> Oh man, I have days like that. Yeah, so it, it it's you know, I mean that's that's probably one of the challenges is of just being a small business owner that that people don't really talk about is you know you have to be really good and organized and um, I will say though you know I've been in business for myself now for uh, eleven years and somehow some way I have managed to stay upright. I'm not sure how, but I have done it. So. Um, <laughs> Luckily, I am a pretty good designer, so that's held me up pretty well. But, uh, you know, the, the, but I will say that, you know, if you can afford it, having somebody who can help you with your organization and management does help. I do have someone, um, I have a project manager that, thank God I have her, because if I didn't, I would be a hot mess. <laughs> <laughs> she helps me out tremendously. But one of the things that I did want to talk about is, um, uh, which I think is something that a lot of women can relate to is your husband is in the military. So tell us what that's like. And, you know, I feel like, um, especially if you're uh, with somebody who's in the military, you almost have to work for yourself because it's so difficult because you move so much. So tell us what that's mm -hmm. like. You know, I don't think before we got married, I didn't. I mean, you kind of have an idea of what you're getting into, but you don't really know <laughs> until you're actually living that situation. But you just, I think you just have to be really prepared to make sacrifices and to be flexible. And, you know, when I thought that, I mean, we have a, we had a unique situation where, you know, we moved to, right after we got married, we moved to California from from Tampa, Florida, uh, we moved to San Diego. So this is actually my second time in San Diego. Um, so we moved to San Diego and shortly, we'd only were here a few months and then my husband's entire squadron, they moved his entire helicopter squadron to Japan. And that's actually not, not very common, but it does happen. And he had to go unaccompanied, but I was going to join later. And we had a situation come up where we had a, a a teenage family member who needed a, a home to stay in, um, temporarily at least, or possibly permanently. So, um, I ended up staying in Tampa to, I, I actually, my husband went to Japan. We moved me back to Tampa because that's where all of our friends and our family were. Um, we had to do that on our own dime because as far as the military was concerned, I could stay in San Diego. Um, so we moved me back and, you know, I ended up staying and taking care of this kid for a while and we missed the window that I was planning on moving over to for when I was planning on moving over to Japan. And by the time the the kid actually, you know, went back to his mom and unfortunately I missed my window to move over because by the time that happened, my husband was about ready to deploy for six months. Well, then it didn't really make sense. So, and by that time, you know, time passed and you realize there was never like a perfect time to move over. Either we had a vacation planned and it didn't make sense to move me over or um, we, he was about to deploy again. He deployed twice for, for six months. And during that time, you know, during deployments, you we were, and we're actually very lucky. I can't imagine, you know, 50 years ago when you don't have email, but you know, I got one email a day on average and then one long phone call a month because about every month or so he would stop 
and have, you know, they would stop in, at, in Australia or they would stop in um, South Korea or they, w- they would stop somewhere at, for several days, for three or four or five days. And so we would get a chance to have, a, you know, at least one long phone date, if not like a few phone calls in there. So that was my life for, you know, six months at a time. And... And how, and then on top of that, I was in Tampa and he was on the opposite side of the world. So that made it even more difficult because then you're dealing with time changes. But we, we lived, we were long distance like that for two years and managed to make through it and we're, and we're fine and great. And we moved in May to, and in May he came back from Japan and we drove cross country and we now live in San Diego. But I feel like even though our situation was unique and a lot of people don't spend two years apart, you do get a lot of families who, you know, you just have to, you just have to accept that you have to be flexible and that you're, you're going to have to make sacrifices. I was, last night I was talking to a friend and her husband is a Navy SEAL and she said that, you know, well, they don't, they don't have kids right now. They're going to start, they're going to try in a few years, but she said that she's already, they've already had the conversation. Look, I, I'm okay if you have to be gone when I am giving birth or I'm okay if you have to be gone when our kid is having his first is taking his first step because I have family around. I have friends who, who support me and can be there for me, but you have to try to be there when our kid has his first dance recital or, you know, for there, because the kid is not going to understand that the military has to come first you know? And so, and it's just, it's just a hard lifestyle. And, and I shouldn't, you know, I'm not really complaining. The military takes great care of us. So in, in that way, you always know that the military is going to take care of you, but you do have, you are going to make sacrifices and you are going to have to stand alone a lot. Yeah. I feel like you definitely have situations in your life that the average American um, does not have to face, but Like, I've had several clients, um, military wives, um, one of her, um, I've I've worked with her many times over the years, and several times her husband was, one time he was deployed in Abu Dhabi, the other time he was in Afghanistan. He's actually gone to Afghanistan quite a bit, but two years was actually pretty common for him to be gone, and so we were in the midst of building you know, this half a million dollar house on acreage, and she's the one that's got to act as the project manager and the supervisor of her project because her husband isn't there, Mm -hmm. you know, and shit's going wrong. Like, you know, um, people weren't showing up. The contractor wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. Um, and even down to when they did move in, toilets were breaking, like just everyday household stuff. When you have a spouse, you can, you can weather the storm together. Mm-hmm. And I saw just the stress of her having to raise two kids. She had two teenage boys, um, young, you know, like we're talking 13 years old, not 17 years old. So she's trying to raise two kids and manage a household with no husband. Well, and even the little things. I mean, I remember, you know, my, my, I, someone told me that, um, or when I took my car in for a, an oil change, they're like, your tires need to be changed. And I'm like, is he telling the truth <laughs> or, right. or is he trying to take advantage of me? And, and, you know, my husband didn't remember that the tires were starting to go bad. And I had, had someone else had like my boss <laughs> look at my tires. Um, and he said, yeah, they, you know, they do need to be replaced, but you're used to having 
someone there to go to for advice, someone else to carry the load. If something breaks in the house, you are responsible for figuring out how to get it fixed. You know, like there's no one, there's no one else to go to. Right. And I can honestly say like, David knows nothing. He is not handy in any way, shape or form. (laughs) Like he's useless when it comes to that. And like, I'm usually the one that will fix it anyways, but having the the support system of him being there and being able to discuss like what the hell do we do how do we do this like what do we need to do like it's so much better even though he doesn't know what to do it's it's that support system of we're going to do it together well and i will say i was really lucky and that i i mean my husband was in japan we he is not I don't have to worry about anyone shooting at him. You know, he w- he's in the Navy, so I don't have to worry about, you know, whether, when, if our next phone call is going to come, you know, whereas I have a friend who's, whose husband was an army ranger and he was killed overseas, wow. you know, and, and she ha- is raising their, her, their baby was probably, I think, six months old at the time he was killed. They were both in their early 20s. They were young, you know, and now she's, she actually goes around and speaks for um, an, or, a mili- an organization that helps out spouses who have lost, you know, who have lost, um, you know, the, the service member who was providing for their family. And she speaks for that organization now, but she, you know, she, I'm seeing this amazing woman that she's become because she, and she's had to be because she's the one now raising their child by themselves. But I was really lucky because I never had to worry about that. Whereas I know other people, you know, you get off the phone with your spouse and you have to wonder, you know, I mean, you have to put it out of your mind because you do have to go on, but you know, am I going to speak to them again? You know, they're in a highly hostile area or they're getting shot at every day. You know, I didn't have to deal with any of that. So I, I from that perspective, I was pretty, bl- even though we spent two years living apart, um, I was pretty blessed in that respect. Yeah. And I mean, I give it, I, I give that to you. I don't think that, you know, David has to travel for work and like I'm such a pansy I'm like oh my god you're gonna be gone for a week like how am I supposed to survive (laughs) because of course when he leaves is when all hell breaks loose the air conditioner breaks the floors pop up the dryer goes out the toilet (laughs) overflows none of this shit happens when he's home but like yeah like I'm in a pure panic you know because one I miss him and like it's a good support system and you know again not that he'll do anything but you know you feel safer at night when you sleep and like I'm just you know like I get in a panic I can't imagine two years like (laughs) I would die I mean we were lucky we got we didn't get married I I mean I shouldn't say we're lucky but we we didn't get married until I was almost 29 um and I, so I was already very accustomed to living by myself. I was very independent. And I honestly think that's why we survived that two years as well as we did, because I was already sort of used to being on my own. Um, but, but it gets very lonely and it's very difficult to feel connected to someone and feel, feel in love. I mean, you know, that in love feeling and you may know intrinsically that you love that person, but it's really difficult to feel that when you haven't seen them for months, you only have maybe one 15 minute conversation a day and you're leading entirely separate lives, you know? So it's, it's, and you start to, over time, you kind of, 
in order to not just be miserable and want to die all the time and sit on in the corner with a you know a pint of Ben and Jerry's, you kind of have to disconnect a little bit. At least that was what that was my experience, and and I know that's the experience that um, a, a friend of mine had. You know, we both found that we just had to disconnect a little bit just to keep moving forward and not to just want to you know curl up in a ball. Right. And I would say that that's one thing that I can give to a lot of women is that we do have a lot of strengths and courage and tenacity when we have to. And I think if I were put in the the position of have to, yeah, I I could have to, but um I just don't think that I would want to. Um, you know, <laughs> no like, one I mean definitely no one wants to. It's it's um someone told me though once that you don't you would never you would be surprised what you can what you are capable of when you have no other choice yeah and and again I I mean I I see it a lot like with with my one client I mean um I've been working with her for nearly 10 years and and like I would say 85% of the time that I've worked with her, he has been deployed and he has not been here. Now, I will say that he comes back with some really cool shit from Afghanistan. Like, um, <laughs> we have some of the, like, the coolest rugs and art and things that he gets over there. But, you know, it's just, it's, she has been forced to really become a strong woman and to really rely on herself. And it's great when he's there, but like she knows not to get dependent on it because she knows he's going to be leaving again. And I'm trying Mm -hmm. to think, I think he's, I think he's in the army, but, um, you know, like I see the way that she has to live and she's been doing it for 22 years. And I just, I don't think I would want to sign up for that. It, it, uh, you know, at some point, I think it would get really old, and I would just be like, "Okay, enough is enough. Like, go get a real job. Go, let's go to the bank, and <laughs> you can have a nine to five. <laughs> so. Yeah, the the getting it gets very tiring every time you have to say goodbye. I I remember, you know, it got. Now we we live together again, and we're there's no plan of separation in the future. And it took a little time to get used to that. Like, oh, you know, I kind of had forgotten what normal was like, if you want to know the truth. Yeah, well, and you sent me a picture of the desk that you're sharing. So, I mean, I'm sure things like that are now frustrating. Uh, You're like, now, wait a minute, you weren't even here, and now i got to deal with all this. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I finally finally caved, and I said, you know what, You you can have the office and your messy, cluttery desk, and I'll find somewhere else to work. Yeah, yeah. So how did you decide then to, you know, I would think that with as much moving around as you have to do with the military, it makes sense to become a small business owner, but how do you get to that point of making the decision of, you know, I could go out and get like a, a real job. So, you know, that's what people like to call it a real job. That's, you know, mm-hmm. consistent money. And, and I, I have something to count on or make the decision of going out on your own and, and helping other business owners. How do how do you come to that decision? I mean, part of it was sort of forced on me by the military life we have, but I had, I was sort of already, I mean, at that last job I had taken, I could tell I was growing out of that. And I was sort of in a position where I've, I've always been that person. And I think my dad thought I was just lazy. <laughs> but um, I think when I was like, when I got out of college and I took a job and I worked there for like a year and then I left because I wasn't happy. And I think he was just like, oh, this girl is just never going to to figure it out that she just has to buckle down and work because of course that was the the mentality of that generation um 
But, and then I, you know, so I kind of went from job to job for a while looking for the right thing. And it was, and it was after graduate school. So here I have my master's and not a whole lot of experience. And people are telling me that I'm overeducated um, and underexperienced. And I was frustrated because I didn't want to take these crappy, like, entry-level telemarketing positions just to, you know, to quote-unquote get your foot in the door. And it was frustrating because I wanted to work hard and I wanted to accomplish stuff. But I felt like when you're working a lot of these typical 9 to 5, I mean, how many hours of true productivity do most people have in a typical 9 to 5? And can they keep you really busy enough during during that time? And I, I was frustrated with that. I also was frustrated because I felt like I would bust my ass for my employer and get like, oh, you did great, you know, a little pat on the head. I felt like, you know, there was no additional incentive. I wasn't getting additional bonuses. Um, And that was frustrating because I felt like I was going above and beyond trying to really kill myself and I wasn't really seeing the payoff. So I was already getting kind of frustrated with that. I was kind of at the point where um, I was outgrowing my position. I, I was, I'd been working, I was sort of, we, I was in a two person marketing department. So I was half of a marketing department <laughs> and the, and the other person was sort of, was the marketing manager and she was sort of the, the person who would go out and find stuff to do. And I was the person who would execute it. So I was sort of ready to move on and, and move up from that position and make more money. Um, but then I realized I'm like, you know, my, our lifestyle, we, we were getting, we were thinking about getting married at the time. And I was like, this is just, I'm just going to have to accept that, you know, I'm going to have to have my own business. And it was so scary at the time because I had grown up with this. I'd grown up in this very conservative um, household where my dad was a farmer and my mom was a teacher. And it was like, you know, you get, my dad may have technically been an entrepreneur, but it's a little different when you're born into that lifestyle. You know, it's already, you've been doing it since you were three. You do it the same way that your grandfather and his grandfather did before you. So you know what to do. Exactly. So it's not like you're going out and taking, I mean, not that they didn't take risks. I'm sure they know they, they grew the business a lot when my dad had it uh, or, or during the time since my dad's taken over the farm. However, it's not like you're going out and starting something entirely from scratch, which I think scared my parents as much as it did me. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I, but I realized I'm like, I have to do this because we're going to be moving. I can't, I need something that I can take place to place. My career is really important to me. Um, I don't want to, and not that there's anything wrong with just being a stay at home mom. Um, and I do kind of, I, I want to stay at home when we do have a family, I want to be able to be at home with my kids and be flexible, but I also want the career at the same time. I want it all. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I realized that the best way I could have that, the best way I could make a really good income for myself, um, travel as much as I want to, because I love to travel more than anything. Um, the way, I, the only way I could have it all was to work for myself. And how and long have, have you been doing that? When did you launch the company? You know, I started while I had my other job, um, which 
meant growth was really slow initially. I left my other job though in December. So I've really been going full force since like January, I would say. Um, And for those who are listening, I mean, would you recommend that? Do you think that that was a good way to kind of meet your comfort zone while trying to get your foot wet, so to speak? Yeah, it definitely worked for me. I have a friend I spoke with yesterday who is a military wife and she she in the last six months she got married had a baby and moved cross country from tampa to san diego and now she's in this position where you know they're they're trying she has this new baby and they um they are trying to they're now living on one income versus when she was in tampa she had her own income because she had her own career and she's left that behind and now she's sort of in this position where she has to start over you know and whether it's whatever that is going to look like but they're probably they may be moving again in a few months back to virginia and and now she's in this position where she doesn't have she's going to have to start from scratch at, at a position where I was really fortunate that before I ever made the the leap to make the move and left my job, I already had the pieces in place. I had the website in place. I had blog content in place. I had social media networks in place. um, And I had had the disposable income at the time that I was working full time to make the investments in my business um, so that by the time I, I cut the cord and took, you know, at least a temporary drop in income, those pieces were already in place. So, and, and just from a comfort perspective, you know, cutting the cord was, you know, letting go of that safety net was really difficult. And it was really stressful for probably a month or so. Um, and it definitely made it, it made the transition a lot easier because there, it wasn't like you were, all right, I, I left my job. Now I'm going to start this business and now I need to get all these pieces together. Right. And what type of uh, businesses do you predominantly work with? Um, I tend to work with a small to medium sized businesses. Um, anyone, I, I do a lot of, I do a lot of project work where I'll, I'll help people with their Facebook ads or I'll put together their landing pages. Um, I do blog ongoing blogging for different businesses. Um, but I, 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 yeah, I really work with, with anyone who can't have, is not large enough to have a marketing department of their own, you know, and, and they need someone to handle that for them. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge part. It's really important to, you know, have this whole division of your company. And when you are a solopreneur, um, you know, you're you're juggling a lot of plates and it's hard to stay on top of it all. And then, you know, if you let it slip a little, it's like it can very quickly become a landslide, like with me and my damn newsletters. I mean, it just gets out of control really quickly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And you're, I mean, for a lot of people, I tell clients, you know, your time, how is your time best spent? Is your time best spent out making more money or is it better spent sitting there trying to struggle with putting together a really visual newsletter that's going to, that's going to actually make money? Because I have, I have some clients who only send out a monthly promotional newsletter. They're, um, it's, it's a cosmetic surgeon and they only send out a monthly newsletter. Um, it's not like, 
the the tip it's not like the newsletter that you send out where you're sending out content on a regular basis they do a monthly newsletter with their monthly promotions so is it better for for their office staff to spend time trying to fight a newsletter or is it better for them to outsource it and spend their time focused on patients and increasing the value within their office and and I tell my other client you know other client people that too who are considering you know hiring someone to and and having doing some outsourcing how is your time best spent is it spent best spent doing something working on Facebook posting stuff to Facebook or Twitter or blogging if they absolutely hate blogging um, or is it better spent out talking to people, making more income for the business? Yeah, and I think that's the challenge is like with my newsletter, like I said, I'm always trying to make it mind-blowing content that's new um, and something that's never <laughs> been said before, which is next to impossible after all the years I've been doing it. But, um, you know, I don't really ever do – I never do salesy things. I always want to educate or give them something that they don't know about or teach them something so that it does have value. And for me to do that on a weekly basis, like it just makes my head hurt. Like you and I were talking <laughs> before the podcast, it's like, you know, just having to think about what the hell you're making for dinner it's like oh my god it's just another decision that I have to like come up with a solution (laughs) (laughs) so I think that's what what gets exhausting but um, what would you say just in your experience so far as far as businesses go what are some of the the biggest mistakes that you know we make what 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 do we do that would be easy to fix Um, as far as social media specifically or just just... like the overall, um, social media or any just marketing, like what are some things that you see as far as the mistakes that we like one, I would say would be Amanda's not doing her weekly newsletter, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but, but what are some things that you, you consistently see, uh, businesses make over and over that are like, ah, you know, I keep saying like, this is something that you should be doing and you're still not doing it. Um, I think that not enough businesses from a, from a marketing perspective, I think not enough businesses are focused on, uh, growing their email list because I think you're, I mean, it's so cliche and you hear it all the time that the money's in the list, but it's true. You know, if Facebook went away tomorrow, if Pinterest went away tomorrow and if Twitter went away tomorrow, you would lose all of those contacts and you wouldn't have the opportunity to connect with those people again. So you don't own your Facebook community, you know, Facebook owns that and you don't own your Twitter Twitter community. You own your list. And I think too many people neglect the importance of list building. And it doesn't always have to be it doesn't have to be this big expensive thing where you spend a fortune on Facebook ads to grow your list. I you know, you can actually do a pretty good job of list building just on um, Twitter. Or, you know, if you put a, I, I put a, um, and, and I know there's a ton of them out there. I use Optin Monster on, on my website, but I have a pop-up and I actually have it set. The reason I like, I like Optin Monster is because they have something called exit intent. So my pop-up doesn't actually appear until someone goes to click off 
until someone goes to click in that X at the corner of the screen or they go to click away from my website and then my pop-up appears. <laughs> and so it, it tries to catch them before they actually leave the website and, and get them on my email list. Right now, I'm not running any Facebook ads. I'm not running any kind of campaign for list building. And yet my list grows every single day because I'm, I have that pop-up on my website and because I'm using Twitter um, and regularly posting um, content to Twitter, to my ebook to Twitter, to get people on my list from Twitter. All right, Sheena. Well, we are approaching actually a little over an hour. I didn't mean to keep you on so long. Um, if people are interested in working with you or coming up with some kind of a strategy, how do they find you? Uh, just you can find me at SheenaWhite.com or um, on Twitter or Facebook. So you don't and, have a business I, name, right? It's just all under Sheena White. It's all under Sheena White. Super easy. So just look up Sheena White. Um, she's also in San Diego if you want to stalk her. So like really <laughs> cool people actually live in San Diego. So um, maybe you'll run into her and you can ask her some questions. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to add? No, I think you've talked me out. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, it was really great to have you on the show. And, and thank you for saying yes. And um I, uh, I'm just really appreciative. I'm full. My heart is full of gratitude that we were able to talk today. No, I thank you. Thank you again for having me. It's been really fun. Yeah, this is fun. All right. Well, we'll talk soon. All right. Sounds good. All right. Bye. So how is your time best spent? No matter what it is that you do, time is not a commodity that you can ever get back. So whether you're a stay-at-home mom, managing a household, a blogger running a small internet empire, or a small business consultant, it's wise to outsource where you can to increase productivity to focus on the things that matter most. As a wise Portuguese proverb teaches, money is not gained by losing time. And while money may not be the ultimate goal, we all need to value our time wisely to give to the things that matter most. I want to thank you for listening today. If you have questions or comments, email me at info at gatesinteriordesign.com. If you like the podcast, leave a review or subscribe on iTunes. They are extremely helpful and help our podcast get up a little bit higher in the ranks so that more people can find us. Also, find out more info on this podcast and Sheena on the blog, which is gatesinteriordesign.com forward slash blog, where you'll find tons of great tips and tricks, not only about design, but feng shui and more. Plus, you can find me on Twitter at the Amanda Gates. Bye for now.